It's Legally Speaking with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. I'm so used to saying the second half of our second hour that I almost said it again today, but that's not what time it actually is. If I could read the clock, everything would be perfect. Michael Mulligan, thanks for coming into studio as always. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. You know, you got to be careful in the legal world. You wait half an hour and some other case is going to spring up and everything's all going to change, right? Well, exactly. Some interesting ones this week, including the Supreme Court of Canada making a decision regarding when police can and cannot arrest someone who is acting lawfully just because they think it might stop others from breaching the peace. Is this about protesting? It is. And it's, uh, I think, a very both interesting and potentially important case defining what authority the police have um, in these protests to arrest people. Uh, The case is called Fleming, and it comes out of Ontario. Uh, And the essential fact pattern, it dates back to 2009. Uh, And what was going on is that there was an Aboriginal group who was... uh, occupying some land and some form of protest there. Uh, And Mr. Fleming was coming out in a counter-protest. He was carrying a Canadian flag on a wooden pole and was walking down the street up towards where the land had been occupied. And the... In the past, there had apparently been conflict between the Aboriginal group that was occupying this land and the counter-protesters, I suppose, with other Canadian flags. So along Mr. Fleming goes and the uh, police observe uh, that the people occupying the land are walking towards him. They're 10 or 20 feet away. Uh, and the police decide that they are going to avoid a conflict uh, between potentially a potential conflict between Mr. Fleming and the other uh, protesters uh, by arresting Mr. Fleming. Uh, so they yell at Mr. Fleming, you're under arrest. They order him to drop his flag. He refuses to drop the Canadian flag. And eventually the officers force him down to the ground, take the flag, handcuff him, uh, take him off to jail. Uh, and it, because it's in Ontario, unlike in BC where the Crown would have to approve a, a criminal charge, yes. in Ontario the police just charge you and the Crown come along and look at it later. So the police then charge him with obstructing a peace officer, I suppose for not dropping his flag and, mm. uh, and so on. Uh, eventually, after a bunch of a, a dozen court appearances, Crown takes over the prosecution and stays the criminal case. But... Mm. That's not the end of it. Uh, Mr. Fleming doesn't just say, well, that was lucky. I I didn't get uh, convicted of obstruction. He sues uh, the province of Ontario and the police, and he sues them for a bunch of things, sort of battery, uh, unlawfully arresting him, breaching his charter rights, and so off the thing goes to trial. Um, Now, most people aren't doing that because of the cost of pursuing that and the time involved, but good on Mr. Fleming. He succeeds, and he winds up with an order from the judge of, $139,711.90 $139,711.90 in general damages, plus a bunch of costs. Uh, about double that amount eventually in costs, another hundred and fifty grand. and There's special costs. damages. Right. We talked about that recently. That's yeah. right. Okay. So he's got his award, but the province of Ontario doesn't like that, and they appeal it off to the Ontario Court of Appeal. The Ontario Court of Appeal overturns the trial judge, but Mr. Fleming isn't done. He's a dedicated protester, and so off to the Supreme Court of Canada where he wins. Um, and so we have this brand new case from the Supreme Court of Canada uh, that provides some important insight into what powers the police have to arrest people. Um, and I should say there are reasonably broad powers in the criminal code that allow the police specifically to arrest people. Like if a police officer has uh, reasonable grounds to believe that somebody's committed a criminal offense, they can arrest them. Uh, they're even they're permitted to even arrest somebody to prevent somebody from uh, committing an offense, right? If they think a 
you know, hey, that guy's got a, uh, you know, a rock. He's running up towards the window. He looks like he's going to throw it. He hasn't thrown it yet. They don't have to wait for the window to get broken. They could, you know, arrest the person and prevent, uh, you know, the mischief. Hmm. But here, the important thing was that no one believed, uh, the police officers didn't believe that Mr. Fleming was doing or going to do anything unlawful. He was just there with his Canadian flag wanting to protest. And their purpose in arresting him was to prevent uh, sort of a, a breach of the peace, but not by him. Yeah, that's um, interesting. I can see the. I can see how it all comes together. It's fascinating. So you know, I don't think it's some bad intent. The police said, no doubt, they just didn't want somebody getting hit over the head with a Canadian flag or whatever the other group was carrying. Uh, but the argument they made uh, is so this concept of um, sort of ancillary powers that are necessary. This it's called the ancillary powers doctrine. And the concept there is that if the police have the authority to do something, like uh, preserve the peace, right? Uh, the police argued that, well, we must have, uh, as a function of that, the power to do various things to carry out that uh, goal, objective, duty, however you'd want to phrase it. Uh, and so they argued that that ancillary power doctrine went so far as to empower them to uh, arrest somebody in a prophylactic way uh, to prevent uh, a disruptive act, even if they hadn't done anything uh, unlawful and they didn't think they were going to do anything unlawful. Well, the Supreme Court of Canada disagreed, uh, and uh, they uh, specified why those sort of powers have to be really narrowly construed, because if you interpret those sort of broad ancillary powers, that doctrine, in a really wide way, it could very easily and quickly lead to all sorts of unauthorized police action. Um, you know, if you just said, look, anytime they think they can do something that might uh, achieve that broad goal of, you know, preventing a breach of the peace, uh, you could just go and arrest anyone. You could be sweeping up by groups of protesters and doing all sorts of things that are not really in accordance with our constitutional and legal values. So the Supreme Court of Canada made clear that's not permissible. Uh, they restored the trial judge's substantial award. They awarded very substantial costs to Mr. Fleming. And one of the other points the court made, which I think is a good and practical one, is that um, these kind of claims are difficult to uh, pursue. Oftentimes, issues about things like, you know, were the police allowed to arrest you would get litigated in the course of that person being charged with a crime. Like, for example, here had the uh, original charge uh, Mr. Fleming was facing of obstructing the police, had that gone forward to trial, you can well imagine that that issue would get litigated in the course of that proceeding. He would say, well, hold on, uh, you know, you were breaching my constitutional rights, or you had no authority to do that, therefore I wasn't obstructing you. But when things aren't proceeded with in that way, it's the rare and determined person uh, who says, well, I'm going to go off to civil court and I'm going to pursue you. Um, most people aren't doing that because of the large cost and time commitment. I mean, yes. Mr. Fleming's been at this now for a decade. Absolutely. Right? This was 2009 this event right. took place. So that's a major commitment. And one of the other points the Supreme Court of Canada made is that it's important that these powers be narrowly and uh, construed uh, and that there be some clarity around it, uh, lest we require uh, people to engage in this kind of litigation in order to make that point or stop that sort of behavior because uh, otherwise uh, you would have potentially things like the police just sweeping up a bunch of people at the protest, taking their Canadian flags 
and then just saying, well, we're not charging you, so what are you going to do about it, right? And most people say, well, I guess that's fortunate. I don't have to go to court. Uh, I don't really want to go off and hire a lawyer and pursue this thing for the next decade. Uh, so here we are. Uh, it's an important case, I think, both in terms of principle uh, and in terms of providing some reasonably clear direction uh, to the police in terms of what they are permitted to do. Um, and, you know, we had this uh, not long ago here in Victoria, right? We had that uh, group of people yeah, blocking the bridge. how does that work when they block the bridge? How do police know when, because I can't stand in the middle of the highway and say, I'm having Adam Day, nobody can pass. The cops are going to drag me off sooner or later because I'm, uh, but if I'm a group of people saying we need to do this climate thing, I'm allowed to stay there. How does that work? What's the distinction? Well, uh, I mean, it, largely those decisions are decisions of judgment and restraint on the part of the police. Mm-hmm. I think they would pretty clearly have the lawful authority to show up. And if you had somebody who's, you know, impeding traffic in the road, you're not going to have too much trouble finding a, a applicable section of the Motor Vehicle Act or some bylaw you're going to be breaching. Um, and to show up and start, you know, arresting people and putting them in handcuffs and dragging them off to jail. And the decision not to do that uh, isn't so much the function of some particular legal obligation to require a bunch of people to block everyone's effort to get home at the end of the day on the bridge. But it's uh, really an exercise of discretion and judgment on the part of the police. Uh, because, of course, some of those protests are designed to antagonize the police in hopes of producing some conflict to get uh, attention, right? That's really yes. what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and or, so, or I, I think so, at least. Yeah. But yeah. So it's uh, probably an exercise of uh, good discretion not to immediately start with that and allow people a few minutes to sort of disperse on their own. All of that is good and sensible. But... This case would, for example, make clear that the police couldn't say, look, you know, the uh, uh, motorists trying to get home look pretty agitated at this uh, group of people blocking the bridge. We're going to go and start arresting the motorists because we don't want there being some conflict between the motorists and the bridge blockers, right? That's clearly now not on. Um, uh, so, uh, like so many things in life, while there is ultimately some legal answer that's going to be produced you know, a number of years down the road, so many of these things just depend on people exercising good discretion and judgment, and there's no legal decision that's going to uh, uh, force that to happen, right? It requires people to act in a sensible way, uh, and uh, even though you might have legal authority to go and immediately start handcuffing people on the bridge, waiting a few minutes is probably sensible, but uh, there's no other legal authority to do that. Your right to protest doesn't include... Uh, the right to just go and block the uh, bridge and progress of people home at the end of the day. Let's take a quick break. Legally Speaking with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers continues after this. This is Al Farabee from CFAX 1070. If you're a fan of Broadway musicals, then you're in for a treat. The Tony and Grammy Award-winning Broadway hit, Beautiful, the Carol King Musical. The show will run at the Royal Theater from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. It's the story about the early life and career of the legendary and groundbreaking singer-songwriter, Carol King. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at rmts.bc.ca or at the Royal McPherson Theater box office. And learn more at cfax1070.com. Everyone's afraid of the tax man. But what if you could be the person the tax man is afraid of? The person who finds Canadians their missing dollars and returns them back to their rightful wallets. Enrolling in H&R Block's Tax Academy gives you the tools to be just that. You'll learn always in-demand skills and knowledge, which could lead to real job opportunities with H&R Block. It's never been a better time to become a tax pro. October classes start soon. Enroll today at hrblocktaxacademy.ca. 
I'm Rissell Coy, Green Party candidate for the Victoria Riding. I'm not in this for politics. I'm in this because I care. Our kids are on strike demanding climate action. Together with Elizabeth May, we have a courageous plan for reducing climate pollution. I will face head-on the urgent housing, health care, and climate crisis and turn the empty words of career politicians into action for our community. Together, let's build the future our kids deserve. I'm Rissell Coy, Green Party candidate for Victoria, and I'm asking for your vote. Authorized by the financial agent for Rissell Coy. You Move Me is a whole new way to move your household or your business effortlessly. Friendly, full-service movers wearing cool uniforms. They look like superheroes. Always on time. Always careful. Always courteous. And our upfront pricing means no surprises. Except at the end where we give you a little housewarming gift. But now that you've told them, it won't be a surprise. You Move Me. No worries. You're going to like what you see. YouMoveMe.com at Lowe's, we have everything you need for your renos for less. Okay, my dream bathroom is yellow and blue. There's a beautiful clawfoot tub and a walk-in shower with magic water that washes all my wrinkles away. Well, just about everything. Until Sunday, October 13th at Lowe's, it's Canadian Black Friday. Get a $50 gift card when you spend $250 or more in-store and online. Conditions apply. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Canadians don't let weather slow us down. We get out there to work, to play, in the truck that more of us drive. The Ford F-150. Built with capability to help you own every season and smart technology that makes every job easier. Right now, get 0% purchase financing for up to 60 months plus over 8000 in total value on select new 2019 F-150 models. Get the truck built for any season. Get your F-150 at your local Ford store or Ford.ca. What's that 649 feeling? It's your chance to win an estimated $5 million. It's playing as a group with your friends. It's picking your numbers and then holding your breath. And it's knowing there's a guaranteed $1 million prize with every draw. The next lot of 649 jackpot is an estimated $5 million. Plus the guaranteed $1 million prize. There's no better feeling than that. Get that 649 feeling. 19 plus to play. If you gamble, use your game sense. Fuel your mind on the drive home. Weekday afternoons with Mark Brené from 3 to 6. If it's happening, it's here. CFAX 1070. Keeping you informed. Adam Sterling on CFAX 1070. We talk a lot about Canada's courts and how they govern our day-to-day -day affairs. Thailand, the setting of our next story. Five Muslim men on trial for murder. Heavy pressure for a conviction. What happened, Michael Mulligan? You're certainly right. This case, I think, uh, is perhaps one of the clearest examples of why we ought to all be very thankful for where we live and how, broadly speaking, the justice system works here. This was a judge who was uh, trying five Muslim men for murder. Um, and the uh, judge uh, acquitted uh, the men. Uh, and then in the courtroom, uh, pulled out a gun and shot himself in the chest in an apparent effort to kill himself. Uh, and then had, uh, he must have recorded it earlier, um, he began playing a impassioned speech on Facebook uh, that said, you need clear and credible evidence to punish somebody. If you're not sure, don't punish them. I'm not saying that the five defendants didn't commit the crime. They might have done so. But the judicial process needs to be transparent and credible. 
punishing the wrong people makes them scapegoats. And then the transmission was cut off. Um, it would appear what was going on is the judge was being subject to pressure to convict uh, these um, five men of murder, despite there not being enough evidence that they had committed the crime. Uh, and uh, so following the acquittal, the judge <laughs> played that speech and then shot himself in an apparent effort to kill himself. He survived. They rushed him off to hospital, uh, and he's apparently recovering from his injuries. Um, the uh, He also posted, if I cannot keep my oath of office, I'd rather die than live without honor. So it sounds like uh, uh, this uh, judge in Thailand is uh, doing a uh, fine service, but uh, you can uh, all of that gives you a pretty clear picture of uh, what the justice system is working like in that country, and I suspect that is not uh, dissimilar to how it uh, operates in most places in the world. Um, you know, in Canada, you would never for a moment uh, have a con actual concern that, you know, the judge, judge trying your case is subject to some political uh, or other pressure to uh, decide the thing one way or the other, but mm -hmm. uh, clearly that's not the case there. Well, and you know anybody who knows anything about Canada's judicial culture when uh, compared and contrasted against other countries knows that Canada's judiciary is fiercely independent and jealously guards that independence against anyone who may make incursions upon it. Yeah, and that's not even the case in other countries similar to Canada. Like in the U.S., for example, you've got in some states, elected judges, like if you go down to uh, Nevada yes. and drive around, sometimes a year you'll see all these signs about, uh, you know, judge so-and-so running for office. There's also an interesting, on that front, uh, study that The Economist did a few years ago where they looked at the length of sentence imposed by judges who were elected, uh, and the clear trend was that in the year coming up to their election, all of their sentences went way up. Uh, on average, out of, yep. I guess, fear of not winning re-election by appearing soft on crime, quote-unquote. Uh, so not much of a, uh, a system there. And you even see in the U.S., of course, um, judges routinely referred to by, you know, who appointed them. Oh, that's a Republican judge, or oh, that is a Democratic judge. Yeah. Something which would, I think, not play into... Um, the discourse in Canada at all, and I think quite reasonably so. That's what our Senate is for. Let's move on. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I could, I'm gonna, the joke was there. I went for it. But, um, uh, well, actually, before we leave this case, um, I, I don't. I didn't know they allowed uh, judges in Thailand to carry firearms. Or I guess they're not going to pat down the judge, though, as he walks into the room. It would be easy enough to conceal a pistol, one would think. Yeah, maybe that's, uh, they'll have to uh, rethink the robes or something there, but I, I don't know that that's the, the, I don't the, know if the, the proximate cause of the that. problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, back home, a municipal government getting an injunction to stop short-term rentals. Now, this is a cabin or cabins in the Thompson-Nicola Regional District. What's the story here? It is, and I think it may be of some other uh, local uh, interest as well, of course, because we have ongoing debates about short-term rentals and efforts to prohibit them. Uh, and here the issue involved uh, whether a bylaw uh, that clearly prohibited the short-term rental uh, applied with respect to two cabins in issue uh, because the owners of the cabins argued that, hey, look, We've been renting these things out since long before this bylaw was passed. Um, and there is a provision for what are, what's referred to sometimes as lawful non-conforming use. Hmm. And the concept there is that, you know, let's say, for example, a, a bylaw permits you to build a gas station on your property. So you build a gas station. 
Uh, and then um, five years later, uh, the municipality decides, no, no, we want no more gas stations in that area. We only wish uh, apartment buildings or something. So they changed the bylaw, which would no longer permit a gas station there. That does not mean that you need to tear down your gas station and build an apartment building or nothing. Your grandfather would be the, the, broad, the way people would usually describe it. Um, and so the owners of the two cabins argued that, hey, look, the bylaw that was in place when we started renting out these cabins many years ago, back in, I think, 2008, um, they argued that, hey, that allowed us uh, to rent out cabins short-term. And so even though in 2012 you've passed a, a new bylaw that doesn't permit it, we can continue because we've been doing it continuously since then. The argument the municipality made, they made several, one of them they made, though, was that, hey, look, uh, there was a gap and if you uh, have something which is a non-conforming use and you stop doing it for a period of six months, you can then lose that status. Okay. So they argued, well, look, they looked at the rental records for the cabins and they argued, hey, for one of the cabins, nobody rented one of them for six months. The counter-argument by the cabin owners was, well, you know, we don't have control over how frequently people rent them. We've been trying to rent them and have rented them for all of this time. The judge accepted that argument. The, the regional district was unsuccessful in arguing, hey, you didn't get a renter in one cabin for six months. But ultimately, the cabin owners floundered because the judge concluded that the old bylaw didn't permit it either. So you can't get oh, so your grandfather no did. change. Okay. Right. Yeah. It was different. <laughs> if your grandfather did what you were never into the first place. Right. Okay, yeah, they, they were different, and there was certainly a, an argument available that the earlier one would have allowed it, but the judge didn't buy that. So even though okay. didn't buy the, the regional district's uh, point. So that's relevant, I think, for people as well. When there are new rules passed uh, purporting to prohibit various things, uh, there needs to be consideration of, well, was this thing previously permitted? Uh, and have you continued to use the thing in that way? Uh, don't let there be a gap. Uh, you know, if you turned your gas station into a, um, you know, single-family dwelling for six months and then tried to turn it back into a gas station, you'd be out of luck in the earlier example. Uh, but uh, municipalities can't just come along and retroactively make your uh, existing uh, building unlawful by changing the underlying zoning. There we go. Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Thank you, as always, for your knowledge and your insight. Almost out of time. Ten seconds left. I don't think we could do another story, but we'll see you in a week. That sounds great. All right. Back to your normal time in the second half of our second hour on a Thursday. Join us for that here on CFAX 1070. All right.